The title of the message this morning is, Who is your neighbor? So if you look around you, when you look at those that are close by to you, those are people that you probably know very, very well. They're your family, most likely, those that you're close to. We usually tend to do that in church. We sit next to one another. But today we're going to challenge that a little bit. Who is your neighbor? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Please stand as we read God's word. Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, and again, we see one of those situations where it says, on one occasion, that would probably mean that this happened several times. On one occasion, however, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you anoint it this morning, that you speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to realize that it's not just those that we know are close to us, but Lord, anyone who is in need, we need to consider our neighbor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to give you the name of some ta uh, famous TV couples or individuals, and I want you to uh, give me the name of their neighbor, all right? So the first one I'm going to say, Dennis the Menace, who is his neighbor? Hello, Mr. Wilson. Jerry Seinfeld. Who's that? It's Kramer, right? Laverne and Shirley. Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah. The Flintstones. Barney and Betty Rubble. Right. Archie and Edith Bunker. This is the Jeffersons before they got their own television show. What? The young ones, they don't know. How about Ricky and Luca uh, Lucy Ricardo? <laughs> Brad and Earl, Ethel Mertz. Now, even the young ones should have seen reruns of that. Tim, the tool man, Taylor. Wilson. Uh, you could never see his face, right? You know, it's not too hard to tell who the neighbor, neighbors were of uh, famous TV folks. But in our text today, we have a lawyer here. We find that he's having a hard time knowing... Who is his own neighbor? The law commanded that Israelites were to love their neighbor as themselves. And so, as all good legalists will do, this lawyer wanted to know who his neighbor was. He wanted to know who he had to love and who he didn't have to worry about. That's why he was coming to Jesus. And the Jews typically interpreted this neighbor as the one who was near or a fellow Jew. And men like this teacher of the law tended to reject people who were not as religious as they were. This man wanted to have Jesus draw a circle and he wanted Jesus to explain to him who was in the circle and who was outside of that circle. So Jesus tells him a story. And it goes like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of all of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, 
And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and a wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And he told him, he said, I will return. I will reimburse you for any more extra expenses that you may have. Which of these three, then, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus said. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go then and do likewise. Now, which of the three neighbors to the man who was, who was a man, who was a neighbor to the man that was beaten? In the story, Jesus is teaching that the man is a neighbor. Anybody who is in need is your neighbor. You might say that no one would have ever acted like those two that passed by on the other side. No one would ignore somebody who was hurting and in need. No one would just walk away if they saw somebody hurting who was left to die. Back in 1985, Carolyn Cooley of Sarasota, Florida, was taking her two-year-old or two of her daughters to church one Sunday morning, and she was disgusted. When she came and drove into the church parking lot, she saw an unkempt man sprawled against a palm tree. His shoes had holes in them. He wore a battered hat that was pulled down over his eyes. There were beer cans surrounding him. How dare he desecrate the church property, she thought to herself. She wasn't the only one that, would be, that was offended that day. Many who came in and saw the vagrant leaning against the tree were full of indignation. But that indignation dissolved into tears when that bum walked down the center aisle of the church up into the pulpit, took off his hat, and was the pastor. He then gave the message this morning that I just read to you, the story. The pastor's name was Neville E. Grit. He had dressed like the bum and stationed himself out in front of the church that day. He wanted to draw attention to his church over the plight that he had seen in his neighborhood all around as he drove through the town. Also, a 65-year-old man stepped into a, onto a manhole cover and it flipped. and It caused him to fall five feet into a hole. He was trapped there for 45 minutes because everybody that walked by that saw him in that predicament did not stop to help him out. Another story is told of a man who was injured in a car accident on a busy freeway outside of Washington, D.C. Two men stopped to help, but they didn't have a cell phone on them, and they had hoped that somebody else would stop and let them use their cell phone. Instead, angry motorists just would pass by, honking and yelling and pointing toward the victim. One man even screamed this, Why don't you get that thing off the side of the road? Why do people act like that? Why do at times we not love our neighbor as ourselves? And this morning I want us to look at three reasons why this happens to us. The first one is this. We don't think of somebody as a neighbor if we don't know them. The guy lying on the sidewalk does not live next door to me. He does not even live near me. He does not go to my church. He does not belong to my club or social circle. I just don't know the person. So why should I care? How did he end up stop being our neighbor? In the story of the Good Samaritan, neither the priest nor the Levite knew the man either. But then again, the Samaritan didn't know him. Several years ago, a news report told about an incident where a crew was excavating a piece of land. 
when the hole that they were digging caved in and it, was, it trapped several men under the dirt. One bystander was just watching the rescue attempts when a woman in a nearby house shouted to him, Jim, your brother is down there. Instantly, he stripped off his coat and he began digging frantically. Why did he do that? What changed his mind so that he went from a casual bystander to a frantic rescuer? Up until then, he realized he, he actually knew somebody in there. And before that, he didn't care. So he didn't get involved. This morning, I want us to define a neighbor. It's helpful to us if we do so, the way that God does. Back in Leviticus 19, God describes our neighbor as being someone you knew or one of your people. And Leviticus 8 and 19 and 18 states that, and some that you also don't know. The alien living among you in Leviticus 19.34. So it wouldn't be just the person that you knew, but it would also be the alien living among you. In other words, those that you did not know. So the first reason that people do not love their neighbor is because they don't know them. The second one is this, that we're afraid that we will be taken advantage of. One of the comments that I hear from people about giving to those that are in need is the fear that that person that they help will waste the money or that they will use it on things that are not appropriate. It will be used to maybe buy drugs or alcohol. A lot of times as a pastor we come across people that are in need and I'm going to tell you that in the beginning when I first became an, a full-time minister uh, my portfolio or part of my portfolio at Bethany was that I dealt with those folks that would walk into the church and my pastor's heart would always come out. I would hear the stories, you know, what was going on. And I, I would be moved by compassion, and I would usually help, right? And about 45 minutes later, another person would come with another story, and I would help them. And then about 45 minutes later, another person would come. And I got to realize that there was kind of a circuit down in the area where I was living. And they would go and tell, hey, there's a pastor over there, and he's helping those in need. I'm going to tell you something, that for a while there I became a little bit jaded and I would become more wanting to know more than just a story. Unfortunately, that happens to us when we deal with those things on a regular basis. It becomes hard to tell who's really in need and those that are just trying to take advantage of us. And so one of the reasons we're afraid that we'll be taken advantage of. The policy here at this church goes this way. We rarely give money to those that come in here in need. If they need groceries, I will go down to Mr. G. I'll tell them, go down and go shopping, and I will come down and pay your bill. If they need a place to stay or if they're, they're looking for housing for the night, I will go to the hotel and pay for one night in a hotel. If they need gas in their vehicle, I do not give them money. I take them down in town here, and I fill their tank up with gas. They need their electric bill paid or their gas bill paid, I will pay the bill directly. A lady walking here one day, she was in need and she needed her electric bill paid. So not only did I pay her the, a portion of her electric bill that day, I established an account online for her that uh, allowed us to break it up into four payments so she could catch it up. I paid the first payment and then I put her on the care program. What do we actually do? What is our policy so you know our policies here and how we do that? Because at times people might think, if somebody's going to take advantage of me, it keeps me. I had to establish ways that I could not or remove that portion of it, remove the portion that I would be afraid of being taken advantage of, and yet still want to 
help those that come to us in need. I want you to notice the Samaritan. He didn't give any money to the man that he helped. He gave it to the innkeeper when he took him there. He told the innkeeper also, he said, I'm going to come back by this way and I'm going to help you to pay any more expenses that you incur as you help him. When we try to help those in need, there's times that we don't have to give them cash to give them help. God regards this command to love our neighbor as ourselves as so important that he tells us this, that it is the royal law of his kingdom. In James 2.8, we're told that if you really keep the royal law found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing the right thing. God takes the loving of your neighbor seriously. He takes it so seriously that when we do it, he says that he wants to reward us. In Proverbs 19.17, we're told this, that he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, lends to the Lord, and he will be rewarded for what he has done. So first, people do not love their neighbors because they do not know them. Second, they don't love their neighbors because they're afraid of being taken advantage of. And the final reason is this, that sometimes we're just selfish. Often I'll hear someone quote this passage where it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they'll say, well, you have to love yourself first. It sounds good. It sounds good to the world that is consumed in loving themselves. But that's not what it means. And I'm sure you've heard the statement. You might have even made it at times. Jesus didn't say love yourself so that you can love others. He said love your neighbor as yourself. He is assuming that you already love yourself. The Bible assumes it. And in fact, in Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, husbands are told to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, one, no one ever hated their own body. But he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ feeds the church. So the Bible says that you, are to, that you already love yourself. Let's say that you walk in a room and it's got a huge mirror on it. And there's a lot of people in the room. And so you look at the mirror. I want you to think about this for a minute. Who is the first face that you seek out in the mirror? Y'all know it. Come on, you can say it. <laughs> Your own, right? That's the first face you're going to seek out in the mirror. If you find an old family al album or photo with all the brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, nieces, cousins, outlaws and in-laws, and you look at that picture, who's the first face that you seek out? Your own. You know what? You already love yourself. You already love yourself. This morning you may not be happy with yourself. You might be disappointed in something that you've done or even said or by something you've not done or said. But the point of the matter is this, that you love yourself. There are some who have a poor self-image, but the problem is not with the fact that they don't love themselves. The problem is this, that they have their priorities all out of whack. They have poor self-image because they are self-centered. We already love ourselves. If a person wants to heal poor self-image, the Bible has a foolproof way of dealing with that. Guess what it is? Love your neighbor. It is a foolproof way of dealing with self-centeredness. 
1985, Bernard Rimland, the director of the Institute for Child Behavioral Research, did research on happiness. And among other things, he found that the happiest people are those that help others. When I was a youth pastor, uh, one of the events that brought about the greatest, I guess you would say, um, joy to the young people was those that we did that helped others. I remember putting a bunch of young people in the bus. Matter of fact, the same bus that now sits in our parking lot when I was a youth pastor in Alhambra. We had that bus packed one day. We went to Skid Row downtown Los Angeles. We went to the Union Rescue Mission. I remember as we drove down the street, approached the mission, they had told us, they said, make sure that you come all the way through the gate. Don't stop on the street. Come in the gate. We'll lock the gate behind you and walk in the side door of the mission. We did that. That day, our job was to distribute care packages to those that were living in transitional housing. And so all of our young people walked the streets of Skid Row. We went up to the housing units. They had big apartment complexes in downtown Los Angeles. They had crates or, or, or pallets out front with boxes for care packages. It was just household items that anybody would need, toothpaste, deodorant, different things like that in these boxes. And the young people went door to door in these transitional housing units and would knock on the door and give them a package. And if they wanted to talk to them, they would be allowed to talk to them and pray with them. And when we got done at the end of that day, those young people would say that that was the greatest event that they did that year. It brought them such great joy and happiness. My father-in-law and mother-in-law uh, run the way station in Joshua Tree. And we would take our young people there to serve food after their events. Every single day, every single day there, they serve lunch to those that are in need. And they have been doing that for 35 plus years. We would take our young people on Friday nights. They would do a service. We had worship service in the message. And they would feed those folks that came to that after that service that night. Our kids would stand behind those tables and they would ladle out the soup or whatever that was happening that particular day. And I asked one of our young people, I said, later on at a different time, I said, what's, the, what's your favorite event this year? He said, when we went to the way station and served food. There's something happens inside of us and it gives us great joy when we help others. Earlier I told you of the story of Carolyn Cooley who had seen the vagrant outside the, on the church lawn. She was so overcome with shame at that particular experience and what it revealed about her attitudes to those in need that her and her husband, Ray, decided to scrape together some money so that they could rent a house in Sarasota, Florida. They used it as a home for the homeless and called it the Good Samaritan Home. In 2001, they received one of the Florida's Points of Light Award in reaching out to the homeless. The Cooleys found a new sense of self-worth and value before God. As I conclude this morning, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, if you obey this command, you please God enormously. There's one more thought that I want to leave you with this morning. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite saw this man beaten and bleeding by the side of the road, and they passed him on the other side of the road. They could not be bothered by the man's tragedy. But the Samaritan was filled with pity and stopped to help this man in trouble. And in just days, or at the most, weeks later, after this particular encounter, Jesus would be stripped of all of his clothes. 
He would be beaten to within an inch of his life. And then he would be left to die on the cross. He did it willingly and he suffered and he died on the cross for all of us today. He did this because he refused to walk by you. He refused to let us die on the side of the road. He had compassion on all of us. And this morning he still reaches out those nail-scarred hands reaching out to us to help us. And I want you this week to think about these things when you're walking through your week. Think about what Jesus did for you. I want you to think about the idea of who your neighbor is. Because a lot of times we just kind of get into that position of me, my four, no more. And we go through life kind of that way. And we have this blinders set up and we don't think about those that are around us. This week, I'm going to pray that God brings people into your path. And if you'll ask him, he will bring people into your path. And it doesn't mean that you are reaching out and happen to help. I mean, if it happens that way and you help somebody that's in need. But I'm saying there's a lot of people around you that you'll come into contact with this week that are hurting in more ways than just in need of financial help. More than just in need of some food to eat. There's people out there that are hurting and they're without hope. And especially in the day that we live, you know, we've been preaching about the fearless church. It is time for the fearless church to stand up. It's time for the fearless church to reach out to those that are around them, those that are hurting, those that don't have hope, those that are scared. They're your neighbor. They're the people that you see and come into contact with, those that you maybe know, but they're also people that you might not know. They're your neighbor. And that when you do good unto those folks, God said, I will reward you for that. And you know that that's a promise. We don't do things because we want to be rewarded. We do things because it's the right thing to do. And sometimes we just need to reset in our own hearts and our own attitudes. We need to reset those things that are the most important things. We need to get our priorities right. So that when we look out and we see that person in need, our neighbor. Because we've expanded the definition of neighbor today. When we look out and we see the need of our neighbor, that we will respond. As Jesus responded to your need, he didn't leave you by the side of the road. Lord, we thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunities this week to demonstrate to those that we come into contact with. Lord, that you would bring people into our way this week that need a touch from the hand of God. Lord, that those that might be in need, whether it be food, whether it be the bills that they cannot pay, Lord, whatever it would be, Lord, those might come into our way. But Lord, we know that there is so much more to the definition of those in need. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive, a people of God that would reach out to a lost and a dying world. Lord, that this week, what would be represented in our life is a godly attitude. One that says, Lord, all people are my neighbor. Help me to love them as I love myself. Lord, I praise you today. I thank you. I know, Lord, that as you go with us and as you give us those opportunities, Lord, remind us of these things that we've heard today. We praise you. We give you the glory for it all. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Love you. Have an awesome week. I want you to know we've got a brand new person in church today. We've got Boston here. Is she awake? We got two? Oh, Emery, it's her first time in church? It's her first time. Where is she? So Boston's right there. Emery's in the is in the nursery. We're growing, yeah. We're growing, right? She's even awake, kind of. See her moving her arms there. Yeah. Yeah. I love you all. Have an awesome week this week.